Merry Christmas. Hello, everyone. Uh, T-Bane here, and welcome to the Revival Church Podcast. I am joined with my two good friends, Timothy J. Walkstetter and Justin, I don't know what his middle initial is, Luttrell. Um, S-A. S-A. You've got two middle names. What are they? Or, or are you uncomfortable with that? Sam Adams. I've opened the Pandora's that box be, here. That would be cool. That would be cool. <laughs> uh, Apparently, that's not it, though. <laughs> that's <laughs> He would have told us. He he doesn't want to tell us, folks. Um, But uh, if you haven't noticed, today is our Christmas episode. Was one. Scott's his father's name. Man, it's like national treasure. We're trying to. Yeah, there's my uncle's name. Put all the clues together. Uh, But uh, you're leaving everybody in Podland. Andrew. Andrew. This is called that. That was called a tease. He start. You know. In podcast vernacular, that's just that's just a tease. So he's a professional. He's um, such a tease. But uh, yeah, so today is our Christmas episode. I'm uh, thankful for you guys for being here. Um, thankful for to all of you out there listening in podcast land. And I hope you have a wonderful Christmas season. I hope everything is going well, even in the COVID land and all of the different things that are happening right now. I hope that you're taking a second to actually pay attention to what this season's all about and that's what we're going to try to do today a little bit um how are you guys doing what is it what's uh what's new in y'all's lives lately well we uh terry and i have of course had uh we have two daughters and so um one daughter got to visit us from brazil the other one has moved uh into our backyard with her son and so we've we've been able to see our grandsons and find out that we have a granddaughter on the way. So My it's goodness. great Christmas for us so far. It's awesome. That is awesome. And then Justin's just holding down the school front. Well, that he's become a doctor. That's right. That's Legally, right. we can call him Dr. Lettrell now. Legally. Yeah. You could see it on his face. He wanted to say it, but he didn't want to. He, he, didn't he wanted somebody to say it. It yeah. had to be me because I'm sitting directly across from him. Right. Allow others to exalt you. So uh, as, as long as when we publish this, we add the initials <laughs> off to the side. That's right. You need to talk just a little bit more into your microphone. Uh, so uh, yeah, today it, we'll probably keep it a little bit loose. We're just uh, we're hanging out. We're going to talk about Christmas, and uh, I don't know. To begin with, y'all want to talk about your favorite Christmas songs? What's your favorite Christmas song, Brother Walkside? Uh My favorite Christmas song is "Hark the Herald Angels Sing." I think. And the reason I, I, I like it is um, I like the theology that uh, Charles Wesley kind of weaves into it. Uh, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, veiled incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. I, I just, I love how he, um, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth, so that you actually have kind of the the, the totality of the message, not just Christmas, but you have Easter and Pentecost all in one wonderful song. I, I, I really like that. Anything that, of course, kind of exalts the name of Jesus and the, the totality of his mission, I think, is uh, awesome. It's a good one. What about you, Justin? Growing up, I really liked 
Oh Holy Night, but recently I have... Uh, Christmas shoes? I would definitely say not Christmas shoes. <laughs> not Christmas shoes. Now I'm going to be singing that all day. It's been 10 years, thanks, Timmy. My bad. Just had flashbacks, sorry. Um, I would say O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. That is... Um, I love, love, love that song. I particularly love the version from Selah, which they're back together again now. And uh, they have like this Yiddish fiddle in the background that they're playing. Um, and it just, I don't Mournful. know. It is, but it's hopeful at the same time. Yes. So that's really the kind of stuff that I like when when songs have kind of that dichotomy in there. Um, but also stories as well. But I, I, I love O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And it's it really has. My wife and I, sometimes we play it in July um, because it's just, it just well, hits I, you. I think right now, particularly, that uh, that longing yeah. for a, a resolution <coughs> for the kingdom to come, I, I think yeah. we find ourselves absolutely increasingly in that point. Mm-hmm. Ransom well, captive Israel. Yes. And that song in particular, it's not. It's not only looking forward, it's also looking back. So it's, yes, there is longing and it is, it is kind of sad in a way, just in the way that it's written, but it's also, it's, it's talking about redemption all the way through it, you know, things that have already happened. So it's, uh, I just, I think that that song gets a lot of, a lot of things done in a short amount of time, you know, and I, I like, uh, I love that song. I would I w- say. I will say before you move on. Go ahead. It, you would not think of a Christmas song, but it has at times been a Christmas song. Um, but uh, the song um, "His Truth Is Marching On" or um, the song that was written in the Civil War. Yes. Um, glory, glory, hallelujah. Oh, yeah. A lot of people don't think of that as necessarily a Christmas song, but throughout the decades, it has at time become in the beauty of the Christmas lilies. Song. Christ was born across the born sea. Born across the sea, with the glory in His bosom, there transfigures you and me as that He died to make me. men holy. Mm. Let mm. us die to make men free. His truth is marching. And on. so you actually see it in that context, not only of the birth of Christ, but of course of the Civil War. Yes. And the the desire of some uh, for the the end of slavery and and of course that all of that ties back into the Christmas message that the the idea of of course of the sacrifice of the son Absolutely. beginning of Bethlehem. Great song, by the way. I know a lot of people don't like it because of the the way that the drums and stuff kind of hit off and on. But if you just Maybe strip it down outside. and it's very simple, you like Baby It's Cold Outside. No, I don't. <laughs> I prefer Mine Eyes Have Seen the Glory. That's a good one. Yeah. So I, if, if I could choose, those two are very good songs. Yeah. 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 I like the Holly and the Ivy, too. Again, it, it's, it's one of those that uh, kind of feels medieval, and I enjoy that type of music. And, and any time it ties back in, the, the, the lyrics Celtic always tie back in with the, the birth of Christ. And, and then, um, believe it or not, We Three Kings... I like the verses because yeah. the verses break down and then it finally with the culmination king and God and sacrifice so that you actually see the three different gifts and all that they've represent. So it, it builds up to that king, God, sacrifice, hallelujah, hallelujah, earth to heaven reply so that you, you yeah. finally have this understanding and then 
you know, this, this kind of a celebration, if you would. But uh, the, the, the first part of it is a little goofy, you know, with the we three kings. They're not really kings, and we don't know if there's three of them. And Orient feels very foreign, not just as a concept, but as a, not just as a, a word, but as a concept. The, the Orient meaning the East, which is technical, but feels strange. Right. And, uh, you know, we sing Joy to the World at this church all year long. So I think to a certain extent that's, that's if it's not all of our favorite, it's at least the one that is on the top of our brains for the most part. Um, Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts. But my favorite Christmas song is uh, Come Let Us Adore Him. It's you a know? And uh, I think that's probably just a worship leader thing. <laughs> you know, more than anything, because I, I don't know a whole lot about the history of it or anything well, like that. Well, again, that's a wonderful thing. You, you Almost at the end of any Christmas type of service, you can start singing that, yeah. and people will just... Absolutely. Oh, it, it wrecks you know, me. It, it, you know, oh, come all ye faithful, and then, you know, going right into that, uh, oh, come let us adore him, and then kind of moving into that that invitation that he has come to us and now it's time for us to come to him. Right. The spirit and the bride say come. And of course that's at the end, right? That's at the revelation 22. That's at the end of this new Testament. That really is a a series of letters that has talked about how he has come to us. He has made himself available to us and continues to make himself available to us through his spirit. Now you can see the spirit and the bride are beckoning to people. Come, come. Yeah. It's a great song. And then on a more modern front, like, you know, as I'm trying to put together uh, Christmas sets and stuff, a lot of times I like to pick songs that aren't Christmas songs. You know, like last year I did He Shall Reign. That's not, ne- it's a Hillsong worship song. Um, I, it's not necessarily a Christmas song per se, but um, I was listening to it the other day. My wife was in the car and I was just... This may not even make any sense, <laughs> but the things that uh, that I like about songs like that is there's so many songs that we sing, and I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way, but there's so many songs that we sing in church that are so, they're not really accessible for somebody that's not a Christian. Does that make sense? That it's all, it's like, it's like blood and the, and the language that you use is not, is is hard to um there every discipline has a vocabulary with it yes and christianity sometimes has a inside baseball type of vocabulary yes. in which we talk about atonement in which we talk about justification or we talk about biblical terms that when we say them everyone understands them inside a church but outside a church it is not not always welcoming right well and but in this song it's it's more I like the ones that that even if you're not in church, you could listen to this and be like, um, you know, I don't know if that's true or not, but I really it would be nice if it was. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's uh it, it goes through, you know, one day I'll stand before him, what praise will fill my soul, um, and there behold his glory and praise him all the more and he shall reign forever and ever. You know, yes. it's just there's not there's not a downside to that, you no. know. So uh, I don't know. I just like the way that it's written, and uh, and of course it, it reminds us too of Handel's Messiah. 
Yes. Which, you know, when Handel, Handel wrote that in a record time, I think he wrote it in about a month, uh, just kind of cooped up there in England, coming over from Germany, and, and just took portions of uh, the prophets and just set them to music. It's like and, a quarantine uh, record. Yeah. And so he, you know, he, um, in doing so, you know, produced this work that, that is played at Christmas very, very frequently, the Hallelujah Chorus and all of that sort of jazz. Like, really are Christmas music, Christian music too. You know, when we talk about Christian music, not exactly contemporary, but uh, it is. But uh, you see here the, the, the concept, the idea of uh, Christmas is very, very important in uh, that particular piece of work. Right, and I, I try to listen to it once a year, um, which, you know, I, I drive for a living, so I don't have a whole lot to do, so sitting and listening to the Messiah for three hours isn't that big of a deal for me. But... Um. Yeah, I try to listen to it once a year at Christmas time, just for, and I don't even know why, just for kicks, kind of. But um, I really enjoy it. Um, and I'm trying to fix the levels here, guys. I'm sorry. Um, but uh, so yeah, let's uh let's go ahead and move on into what we're gonna do today. Um, I guess we're just gonna kind of start at the beginning of the Bible story and just work our way through, and as we as we find things that are interesting, we can uh, we can just give commentary on that. Do you want to lead that off, Justin? Sure, sure. Any anytime we think of the the Christmas story, a lot of people go straight to the nativity scene, and there may be there may be ideas today that challenge you out there in podcast land uh, when it comes to the Christmas story, because there are probably pieces that you've heard um, that you sequentially put in an order or you have an image of what it looks like but when you read the scriptures that's not actually the same picture that it paints per se and so I I always like to start the Christmas story out uh, with something that kind of precedes just a dab because it's very much a part of the Christmas story and that is starting with a man named Zacharias so if you know Zacharias, Zacharias, he's going to be the son of, of John the baptizer. And wow. uh, not the son, the father. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the father of John the baptizer. And uh, he, he's very interesting because him and Elizabeth, the Bible says that they're older in age. Um, but uh, both of them come from some very rural backgrounds with the Levites. Zacharias is a priest, the Bible says, from the order of uh, Abijah, which is one of those orders that David had created um, way back in, um, I believe, first or second kings. Um, and then you have Elizabeth, who is, the Bible says, she's a descendant of Aaron himself. And so you really have these two people. And the Bible says that um, they're righteous people and that they followed all the commandments of the Lord. Uh, in fact, uh, Luke writes that they were uh, blameless. And so to me, that's a very high honor that he's giving these two people. But as with a lot of times, even though we live our lives for Christ the best we can or for God the best we can, um, there are still things in our lives that have produced issues. And one of the issues with Elizabeth was that she was barren. And the Bible says that basically it's, it's Zachariah's turn to go in and he's going to do the incense. And so this was done semi-annually. Um, in the order of Abijah, they would have these priests, and, and their jobs would basically almost like a worship 
type leader in in the in the temple and it's it happens twice a year and this just so happens that it falls on Zacharias and he goes into the temple uh, and when he goes into the temple the Bible says that he sees on this far right side of the altar uh, when he's burning the incense that an angel comes to him and we actually find out that the angel is Gabriel himself and basically tells Zacharias that he's going to have a son but not just have a son, um, he, there's kind of a prophecy that goes with this son because it is going to be John the baptizer. And so, um, of course, Zacharias doesn't believe it. He and his wife are very old. She's barren. And so Gabriel says, well, you're actually now going to be mute uh, for the entire pregnancy <laughs> and, and uh, because you didn't believe me when I told you. That could have made our funny Bible stories episode. Yeah. Somewhat, yeah. We, we, I think we kicked that one around a little bit. Yeah. But the, the, the cool thing is, this is Gabriel. This is the same Gabriel that comes to Mary just a few months later. Um, but uh, So Zacharias, he, he comes out of the temple, and he's basically like calling everybody over to him, but he can't speak, and he's trying to tell them something, and they don't know what he's saying. So all, all the other priests are like, something must have happened. He must have seen a vision in this temple, like something, something happened, like the Lord showed up here. And the cool thing, of course, is if you remember, this is what we think of, we as Christians call this the 400 years of silence. Mm -hmm. There doesn't really seem to be a whole lot supernaturally going on from the time Malachi has put his pen down to, to this event. What really makes the story interesting is some very supernatural things are about to happen to Elizabeth and Zacharias that won't necessarily always happen again until after Jesus's crucifixion. Um, but uh, so Zacharias, uh, the Bible says that uh, five, like Elizabeth, she conceives and she hides herself for about five months. She hides herself for five months. And uh, she basically is like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to travel and I'm going to go see my cousin Mary. Um, now, Mary is obviously a lot younger than her. Um, but she goes to see Mary, and one of the coolest stories, and you see it a lot on social media these days. It, it's almost like peop, you know a lot of people have just discovered this, um, but it's a very cool story because the Bible says that at the same time she's traveling to visit Mary, this is when the angel actually comes to Mary, and you know uh, this is the Christmas story that you guys are probably familiar with because the Bible says that when the angel comes, that we find out is most likely Gabriel. It, it, he says, Hell, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. He's like, Mary, you're highly favored. You're blessed among all women. So we're going to do something to you that is going to make society hate you. You will possibly lose this person that you're espoused to, and you might be stoned because you're going to conceive a baby as a virgin. And so always when you kind of think of being highly favored by God, and you think of the blessings that he might bestow upon you, um, th the scenario behind this could be very dangerous for Mary, but it all works out because, you know, this is the Christmas story, uh, and uh, as we all know, for most of you guys, this, this has a very happy ending for us, um, but the angel says to her, you know, don't be afraid, you've got favor, you've got favor with God, don't, don't be afraid of this, and what's very interesting is she at first she's like, well, how is this going to happen? I've I've, I've never known a man. I, I, she is engaged, but uh, she she is a virgin. How is she going to have a baby? Even even at that point, the science was there that you know. 
So basically, Gabriel says, well, the Holy Ghost is going to overshadow you, and you're going to conceive this son. And then Gabriel goes on to tell her as well, she says, your cousin Elizabeth, you know, the one that's barren, she's going to have a child as well. And she's actually six months pregnant already. And so, um, and then this is where the Bible actually uses that phrase, for with God all things are possible, when they're talking about Elizabeth and John the baptizer. So I always found that that was really cool too. But then Mary makes a statement to the angel. She says, behold the handmaid of the Lord. Basically when Gabriel says that, she's like, you're looking at the Lord's servant. This is, this is what we will do. Uh, and the Bible says the angel departed. And this is when Elizabeth is going to come over. And a really cool thing happens when Elizabeth comes over because the Bible says that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, that or I'm sorry, Elizabeth doesn't come over. Mary comes over, which is which is really incredible because you got to stop and think that you know part of the beauty of this particular story is as we know the unfolding of their sons is that there will be an overlap between um, obviously Mary and Elizabeth, or should I say Elizabeth who is pregnant first and then Mary. So there'll be an overlap between John and Jesus. And so that part of the reason that Elizabeth is barren for so long is a timing issue to bring this person. If, if John had showed up, let's say, let's say she, she went through barrenness for 15 years, that if she had been barren for 15 years, if John had come, he would have come 15 years too early yeah. with his message. Timeline would have been off. And everything would have been skewed. Think about that. But, but part of it is she had, to, she had to, you know, in hindsight, we can see it. She probably maybe never saw it. But this understanding that the reason I'm barren today is so I'll be fruitful tomorrow. And my fruitfulness tomorrow will actually be really truly fruitless uh, fruitful excuse me that i that i'll actually have something totally dynamically awesome in god's time and that's the thing about following the lord is that truly it is not about you sometimes yeah. it's about something bigger uh, and we can't see that there's no way there's no way that elizabeth nor mary could have <laughs> foresaw or guessed what was going to happen to them. And, and Mary must have been truly, like, hungry for this. When, when, when Gabriel told her that, the Bible says she went with haste from Nazareth down to uh, from Judea. We live in Arkansas. Arkansas is basically from Dan to Beersheba, which is the traditional um, perimeters of Israel. If you could think of Dan being in North Arkansas at the border with Missouri, and you think of Beersheba being in the south, uh, all the way down with the border of, of Louisiana. That's basically the best way for us here in Arkansas to, to think about it. This is like a 100-mile trip. It's a three-day journey for a woman by herself. Through hills and mountains. Yes, to, 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 to find this, this quarantined woman in the midst of her pregnancy, to, to hear a word. Uh, from a human being, and and that word comes by Elizabeth. It's very awesome. Yeah, and the Bible even makes the statement that uh, it came to pass when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, that the babe within Elizabeth's womb leapt. And the Bible says, "This is amazing to me." 
that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. This is before the Bible says the Holy Ghost was even given. She's filled with the Holy Ghost. And then immediately once that baby leaps, she is she's filled with the, the spirit of God. And she begins to say things that she never knew. I don't even know if she knows what she's saying because she makes the statement, blessed art thou among women. And what's interesting is Elizabeth never, never necessarily got the message that Mary is going to have a baby. Right. It was vice versa. Yes. And now Elizabeth is making this statement. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. It's like she knew. Yes. And, she, and then she says, um, whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come unto me? Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Because she has, how, how does this happen? without the spirit of God. Well, uh, and their, their relationship to one another changes almost instantaneously, you know, because they were just cousins, right? Yeah. They were cousins. They were, they're relatives. Yeah, they're, I think they're relatives. The, basically the, the, the best way of describing that. And this is actually, we were talking about songs before the podcast actually started. We were talking about various types of ways. This is actually here in Luke. There are three songs that are sung that actually remind us of Miriam's song, that remind us of Hannah's song, of Deborah's song. This is, there are three songs here that are sung. The first one is here by Elizabeth. That's a song. Then the second one is the Magnificent, which is sung by Mary. Um, and then the, the last one, of course, is uh, when Zechariah finally receives the ability of speaking, he has a song to his son. And all of them, of course, are about uplifting God and all that sort of stuff. Uh, they're just all beautiful and, and all of them tie in together. And it's really interesting that most of this singing is, is really done by, by ladies mm-hmm. uh, that you see it as the, the examples of the old Testament that we could talk about men too, but the examples of ladies that step forward that in a sense will write scripture as they sing, because that's really what's going on. Yeah, they're, 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 cool. as, as she's filled with the Holy ghost, she becomes kind of a prophetess. Yeah. And I think that's what you're hitting at, where she yeah. says, hey, th- this is not just a baby. This is my Lord yeah. that's coming to me. That's, and so in a sense, that, that she becomes an example. Elizabeth is all of us, barren, fruitless, things aren't working. Then God comes and visits us. Christ comes to visit us. And now our life becomes productive. Yeah. Really cool. It's awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and press pause here. We'll take a break, and then we'll come back in just a second. All right, and we are back on the Revival Church podcast. So we left off with, what was it, Zacharias and Mary and Elizabeth. Jesus being born. And we're, we're right up until, we're right up to the point where Mary is pregnant and she's had her interaction with, uh, what's her name, Elizabeth. Yeah. So, And it's really fascinating because she spends three months there and then she goes back. And, and of course, there are events going like like and now back at the farm um if you would they there are events going on in nazareth at the same time if you would and uh so now we we're going to bounce back to to matthew and matthew of course starts off with the genealogy of jesus uh probably the legal genealogy through joseph and and part of this is twofold uh number one it's to provide us a genealogy obviously of jesus 
uh, the, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, so that he is truly king of the Jews. You have the idea that he is king through David and Jew through Abraham. So literally the king of the Jews. And then we'll also see that the, the secondary role that this plays is that, that Joseph is somebody as well. We'll find out really why Joseph goes to Bethlehem because he is also legally from David. And so he is not just a, he, he's a good man, as it says, he's a just man. And so the decisions that he makes we're going to find out are not predicated because he is uh, evil or wicked or just assumes the worst in people, but because he is trying to figure out the good thing. And sometimes the good thing is a hard thing to figure out in, in difficult situations. So it starts off with the genealogy, of course, and we could comb through that because there's just so many great things about that. We, we, you see that it kind of ends up, we were talking about this before, uh, it ends up talking about the the um, the generations, so that the generations from Abraham to David are fourteen generations, and this is probably some type of mnemonic device to help people that were uh, didn't carry Bibles with them to to explain exactly how everything worked out. So that you see, the touchstones would be David, and then of course the captivity. There's fourteen generations that from the captivity up to the birth of Christ or 14 generations. These are, these are overlaps, if you would. They're not necessarily a, 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 an airtight, watertight uh, a lineage thing, but, but, but you'll see here the, the, the word son of simply means descended of. So you have that. And then it goes right into, in verse number 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, which implies eventually they would come together Okay, that they would have more children together. Sorry, guys, if you believed otherwise. <laughs> Before they came together, she was found with Is child of the Holy Ghost. That people believe otherwise. I've Still, the, the immaculate and, and so you'll see that Joseph then is stuck with this very difficult decision because he hasn't heard from the angel. Uh, he hasn't had a vision yet. So he's trying to figure out uh, all of this sort of stuff, which, which makes Mary's trip to Elizabeth kind of understandable as he is coping with all of this as she's had to say, you know, um, I'm going to have a baby, but I've never been with a person. It's like, yeah, right. And you'll see here that everything is predicated. He's a just man. He's not willing to ha make her a public example, which means uh, publicly stoning her. He doesn't want that to happen, uh, which is a good thing for, for all of us. Uh, he is minded to put away privately uh, a private divorce or separation. Uh, that would stain her and her son forever. He doesn't want to do that. And while he's thought on these things, now he has a dream, verse number 20. So he is, he is Joseph the dreamer, if you could think of him, part two. Wow. Um, and, and the dream, uh, we, we find out eventually he has a, a, another dream, and that dream is to go to, e to Egypt. So you kind of see that role kind of playing out again, which is, which is really kind of cool. And uh, Joseph, thou son of David, this is predicated on the idea of who you are, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Fear not to take into thee, Mary, thy wife, that which is conceived in hers of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. So that while Mary will understand who he is, you're the one that's to actually pronounce the name over him, which I think is kind of cool. She bears him, but he bears the name. Because that's his role, right? Yeah. Remember the story of Elizabeth and Zacharias that we didn't really get to tell. But yeah. with that, it was it was Zacharias who was supposed to name the child. And when 
when Elizabeth tried to, they wouldn't let her. It was like, right. <laughs> they said, you can't do that. It's like, what? It's like, no, you can't do that. He has to. So he actually had to write his name as John. And that's when everything kind of was, was unloosed for him here. It's, it's uh, the acknowledgement of Joseph that this is Jesus for he shall save his people from his sins. Now all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bring forth a son. You see the word virgin there. Sometimes people say, well, you know, in Isaiah, the word virgin can mean just a young lady. I was actually going to bring that up earlier. But you actually see here the word virgin means, no, the word virgin here means virgin. Mm -hmm. It means they've never had sexual relations before. Um, And uh, she shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. And so then it's up to him. He has the dream and sleep. Then you have to wake up the next day and see if this is just pizza talking or uh, <laughs> I need a I need I'm really a frustrated that I've never made the the connection that it's Joseph the dreamer again. It's Joseph the dreamer again. That's and, awesome. And you see here the he he maybe he's not been sitting uh, sleeping on one of those wonderful mattresses brought to us by Joel Whitley. <laughs> Plug who for could, his, who could not be with us for, for with, untold reasons. For untold reasons, but you'll see here uh, the idea that he then has to get up and live out the dream. And I think that's that's kind of one of the lessons we have to learn is that dreams can a dime a dozen. It's living out the dream that becomes the difficult thing sometimes. Boom. And everybody wants, Bam. I want a word from the Lord. Well, I don't know if that word from the Lord, if that word from the Lord means you're going to raise somebody else's child, maybe. Maybe some of you are already there. You've got a word from the Lord. Yeah. And you're just having to live. You're having to raise somebody else's kid. Yeah. And uh, God bless you for doing that. Right. And, and, and do it to the best of your ability. Love that child like you would love your child. And that's what Joseph ends up doing. He loves this child to the point that he becomes a mirror image that, that Jesus will learn more from Joseph than he will from any other person so that. When Jesus' ministry comes along, he is known as the carpenter and the son of the carpenter and the carpenter himself. Anyway, so then he gets up and he does all these things. And, and uh, again, um, as we'll see here, uh, and knew her not, again, verse 25, knew her not till she had brought forth her first one again. Uh, and he called his name Jesus. So that we then, we have the really short version of the nativity right there without all the bells and whistles that Luke chapter two is going to give us. And Luke, uh, Dr. Letro is going to talk about that right now. We're going to go now to Luke chapter two. My family and I, we actually read this story like Christmas morning. We do. Yeah. Very well. cool. Very cool. So, so now we are in Luke chapter two. So what um, verse are you going to start at? We're just going to start to at the beginning. Yeah. Okay. Um, so just to give some background, Mary is now back after Joseph has this dream. Mary is now back. Uh, and it's about six months even after this. And so uh, the Bible says it comes to pass in those days that Caesar Augustus ba- basically makes this decree that everyone's going to be taxed and that they've got to go back um, to the place of their fathers. Well, both actually, Joseph being a descendant of David, would go to the city of David, which is Bethlehem. Bethlehem. The interesting thing about Bethlehem is even though Jesse, David's father, was probably uh, very prominent, 
Bethlehem is actually a very poor town, yes. consider when, when you put it next to something like Jerusalem. And in fact, if you do history of, of Bethlehem, and, and we may even talk about this some later, a lot of people just lived in these caves that they had to make because there, there weren't necessarily houses like we would think of houses in Bethlehem. They were very much almost, some of them were almost like cave dwellers because of the poverty. And we'll see some of that happening in Luke chapter 2 that's very interesting. But they, they go on to Bethlehem uh, because they're going to be taxed. And the Bible says that um, Mary is, is, this is about to happen. She's about to have a baby. And it's very quick. It doesn't give the whole story of them running here in Luke chapter 2 from end to end trying to find somebody. The Bible just says, uh, And it was so, while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should deliver. And she brought forth her firstborn son, which leads to, to me to believe that there was a secondborn, if, if this is her firstborn. Right. right. So she brought forth her firstborn son, she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and she laid him in a manger. And we think of this idea of a manger, we think of this nice little wooden box that we can put some hay in and put a baby in, but mangers were used for fodder. This is what they fed animals out of. So the, the idea of this being just some nice little crib type nativity thing scene. that they happened to find in the nativity scene just isn't there. She literally was, had to put some sort of bedding down and put her baby in a nasty old trough where they feed animals that most likely her in is probably in a cave because a lot of times the stalls for animals were kept in a, in a part of a cave and someone else might live in the other part because they don't have all these housings that it they was definitely a need. place where animals would would dwell and maybe Absolutely. this as this trough it in its own strange way is more almost i if you were to see it, it would remind us of like a sarcophagus in its own way, where you would see this this wooden, excuse me, this stone, because a lot of stuff in Israel is made out of stone. They don't have a lot of trees right. in Israel itself. Uh, that's why they talk about the cedars see, of Lebanon yeah. coming down from the north, right? Yeah. That's why it's, it's so wood is so important. So a lot of times you would, you would make things out of stone, which of course makes a lot of sense. We, here in Arkansas, we have a lot of stone and we build things out of stone. You'll see a lot of Little older houses here in Circe that are made from the stones that people have pulled out of their out of their fields uh, and that type of thing. And so you 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 see somebody had manufactured this, and in its own way, she is she's wrapping him up and putting him down in a sarcophagus in the same way that later end, on she yeah. will wrap him up and lay him in a tomb. Right. And so you see the the mirror image there. And just a little little side bit, even going along with that, when you look up the Greek term for manger the, in, in, in the Greek, which would be in the New Testament, it's only mentioned in two different stories. One is the Christmas story, and one is where Jesus is talking about where you go and, go and feed your donkeys and your oxes, like in a stall. Right. Um, and so it's really interesting. This is not a place where people think, oh, they went to this little inn, and there's a cute little lamb sitting right there <laughs> next to them. Is Have you ever been to a stall with oxen and donkeys, or if you ever had donkeys just in general, this isn't just the cleanest place. Well, too, you know, the part of the reason is uh, there's no room for them is because everyone had, everyone wanted to associate with David. Yes. If you've done any family history um, in any way, shape, or form, you always pick the top of the uh, the totem pole, if you will, of the ancestors right. that you could choose from. Because when you start to go back, you know, you got two parents, you got four grandparents, you begin to work your way back. 
into an idea, you could see here that you could, you could kind of cherry pick exactly the type of person you want to be uh, if you want to. And all these people were associating themselves with David, but this really was the son of David, right? This is the one who will become Jesus, thou son of David, the, right. the one that had been prophesied about. All these other people were kind of posers, right. if you think of it like that. Well, we, a, we do that not in only genealogy. In a, in a natural sense, but in a cosmic sense. You know, he's, he is the son of David. He is the, the son. He's, he's not only the physical son of David in the way that all these other people were descendants of David. Yeah. But this was the son of David in that this is the Emmanuel, the one that was talked about, the one that is uh, that David would raise, raise up a, a tabernacle. Uh, that's part of the idea that David would raise a temple. Well, the temple that David really would raise is not a physical structure that would be destroyed by the Babylonians. This was a structure that would continue on in the, in the very embodiment uh, the tabernacle itself, the tabernacle of God that is now with men. What's so awesome about that is David never got to build physically. But look what his posterity was able to do because he followed after. But to go back to the story, um, th- there is no room for the end is what the Bible says. <clears throat> so Mary has this baby. And then Luke goes right in and he says, and there were also in, in the country, there were shepherds there. And they were abiding in the field, and they're keeping watch over the flock by night. So they're out there at night making sure that no one can get a hold of these, uh, these animals, these sheep or these that are out there, these animals. And the Bible says, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And this is where you hear that Christmas story of the shepherds. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Charlie Brown. And yeah. they were afraid because, again, every time people see angels in the Bible— they are afraid. I like the. I like how that there's the, Luke puts in that little two word, um, two word word, the <laughs> two letter word, um, low, low, which means look, and and in its own way, I can almost see someone telling this story, and as he's telling it, he's like, I don't know, he produces something like a like a father telling the story to a child, and it's almost like, and look. You know, here's this, and, and it's almost being acted out. In the way we, right, in our culture, we continue to act out this story. Anytime you see that, there's, it's like pointing, like, hey, hey look, the yeah. angel of the Lord showed up. Like, right. boom. Very cool. Very cool. So the angel says, like, like with all the others, fear not. Um, and, and this is where we hear that, that verse that we quote so much, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And the Bible says, Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. You have probably have heard this language in a lot of your Christmas songs of the past. And the Bible says, When it came to pass, the angels were gone away, so the shepherds are going to go out, and they're going to look. And so the shepherds say one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they make haste. They're supposed to be watching these sheep at night, but they make haste and they find Mary, they find Joseph, and they find the babe, the Lord Jesus, lying in a manger. And when they see it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning 
Um, so they basically they go out in, in all over Bethlehem trying to tell them that, hey, and everywhere they go. Like, the first hey, evangelists. Yeah, this is really cool. Just just shepherds out there at night watching their sheep. And within 24 hours, they have become evangelists. I, I like the idea that you see there, verse number 11, if you, if you see Luke chapter 2, verse 11 says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this is really, this ties, ties back into what the, what the angel told Joseph, that he would save his people from their sins. So that this idea is, this is not just King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This isn't just a powerful figure, but this is a Savior. And that part of that is going to be uh, the sacrifice, which, which might tie in with why this is a message to shepherds because the whole concept of sacrifice and shepherds kind of go hand in hand. That's and then, then you see that, um, you know, these are guys that are not too very far uh, from, from Bethlehem there. They, they have the decision made as the angel comes to them. And I think sometimes we misread this passage um, because we want peace, we want peace am, uh, among men during this period of time, it's like we all need to be peaceful. It's Christmas time, and, and that's good. Don't get me wrong, but I think if we if we unpack this just a little bit, you can see that the Bible says it uses the term hosts there, and host means an army. Every time you see it in the Old Testament, when it talks about the Lord of hosts, it doesn't mean choir. It means <laughs> a, it means an army. Yeah, and it's no wonder these guys were afraid. But this is an army that is declaring a peace treaty from heaven toward earth. Very cool. And that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that you, you see this point and that, that basically the, the peace isn't between me and you. It should be between me and you, but it's, it's heaven's peace toward me. Mm-hmm. And that because, um, like, the, like the parable of, the, of the, the servants, because I have peace with the master, I should be having peace with the fellow servants, <laughs> right? right? Um, but... but uh, the, the idea here is that I have peace with God right. and he has shown peace toward me. And because of all of that, uh, th- this army, and th- this, is, this is the other shoe, the army's still there mm-hmm. and it's still waiting for the peace treaty to expire. And then when the peace treaty expires, Uh-oh. then I'm going to see trumpets and bowls and vials and all of this stuff being poured out. And that, of course, is what the revelation. This is a revelation mm-hmm. of who this person is, because they're they're called on to go into right to show up and look down into a manger and believe this is a savior. But you're going to see here that that there's going to be a revelation one day, which everyone was going to be able to see it. Mm-hmm. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I love that. And then it even goes on to say when they say goodwill toward men. That is heaven's good will toward yeah. men. His will is that none should perish, you yeah. know. But eventually, like Brother Walks there, that's just incredible to me. Yeah. That is incredible. That's awesome. pretty awesome. Very awesome. And the Bible says, as, as all this stuff is going on, it says, but Mary kept all these things. In her heart. And she pondered on them in her heart. Um, and very cool. And so what ends up happening with the story, and this is a really cool piece that fits into the Christmas story because it's very important because... The wise men don't show up at this time. She has the baby. The shepherds show up. She ponders in her heart. Eight days later, they circumcise him. They name him Jesus. 
And then they wait 32 more days because they have to wait 40 days for what they called a cleansing or the cleansing ceremony. And this is really cool to me. Um, and this goes along with something, but the Bible says when the days of her purification, according to the law, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem. So they're still in Bethlehem. Yes. And now they bring him to Jerusalem. By the way, they're not still in the manger because we're going to find out in Matthew they're in a house at that point. And so, um, well, every everybody else left. Yes. This uh, everybody that showed up because they were they they were registered and uh, and all of that sort of stuff. Once they got their little. Uh, once they got their little notification that they had registered there, they went back to wherever they came from. And that's often how it is when you find Jesus, right? I mean, everybody, when they convert and they they have this revelation like they have of who he is, um, it's particularly in an apostolic church, there's there's a major significant thing that happens to you and it feels a certain way but then all of a sudden everybody's gone and it's just you and you're trying to carry out the dream right it's the if it's a youth camp experience we're all together we all had this and i had a word from the lord and now instead of instead of going from good better best it's like i go good better back down to real life yeah and i have to live these things out and i i love how luke punches that in every once in a while that these are little trinkets that Mary has picked up along the, the course of her life that are going to carry her up to the cross so that when, when she buries this person, it's that she has saved up something for the last 30 some years, little things along the way. Yeah. And, and to me, that's, that's part of the lesson I have to learn is that again, like David, when he went to fight Goliath, he walked, through a, a, a riverbed or a stream, and he picked up five smooth stones on his way to meet the giant. If he had just run to the giant, he would have been empty-handed. But along the way of running, he stopped and, and armed himself. In a sense, she is as she's going through her life, she is arming herself for the day of conflict. Yeah. And um, that's one of the things I think we can learn. We, we arm ourselves through these little treasures yeah. that come and we ponder them. And what does that mean? And how does this fit? And one day it all becomes real apparent. Well, yeah, he's the son of God. I, right. I get it. Yeah. Awesome. Those, those major experiences that you have, there has to be somewhere to contain those things um, for when those things aren't happening. Does that make sense? Yes. Like there, there has to be a place that you keep them. She says that it's the Bible says that she pondered them in her heart. So she took a piece of the experience that they all had together there and just kept it. Mary's treasures. She's, she's, she's storing them up. And, and again, I, I try to warn people when they, Oh, I had a wonderful word from the Lord. It's like, okay, you're going to need that. Hang on to it. Right. You're, you're, this is not just this is not just bubblegum and candy and frosting. Amen. This is this is something later on. Life is going to God knows enough about the journey that you're facing mm. that you're gonna need this. So grab it yeah. and hold on to it because you're gonna need it somewhere along the way. That when you say that it just gives me chills because I can't tell you how many how not that often but there have been times in my life I have felt the Lord press a word upon my my soul and it may be 15 years later yeah and I still remember it and I'm like that's what that word was for exactly 
And so a really cool thing happens after this because and I, I never really picked this up until recently, but the, also it's going to relate to a Christmas song. So some of y'all might be excited, but the Bible says that when they go to the temple, they've got to make a sacrifice because it's purification. Uh, and so the sacrifice is usually a, a lamb, but Leviticus says, if you don't have the means for the lamb, you can leave two pigeons or what they're going to call a pair of turtle doves. So two turtle doves. So they bring a pair of turtle doves to sacrifice before the Lord. And what is so amazing about this is this is this is directly related to Leviticus when they're talking about the purification ceremony that actually had to do with leprosy and skin disease. And, and along those lines where they're saying, if you don't have enough, if you don't have a lamb, although they had a lamb the entire time, they're going to sacrifice. Mary had a little lamb. She did. And they sacrificed these two, these two young Christmas pigeons, um, which uh, it was just amazing to me how, how that would relate. Even at an early age, Jesus is being associated with uh, something along the, this priestly line that we talk about because that's what he becomes. And the Bible says when she makes these sacrifices that a man named Simeon, comes along and you got to talk about Simeon when you talk about the Christmas story and the Bible says that he's just he's devout and that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Bible says the Holy Ghost was upon him and he begins to reveal um, some things uh, to people and it's almost like a, it's, it's a prophecy um, and he says for mine eyes have seen thy salvation he's talking about this little baby he says, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, talking about the Gentiles already, and the glory of thy people, Israel. And the Bible said Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken by Simeon because he's talking about their baby. And the Bible says that Simeon blesses them and he says to Mary, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. And for a sign which shall be spoken against, yea, a sword shall pierce through that own soul also. That's why she's got to have these trinkets, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And then it switches to another character in our Christmas story that we never talk about, a lady named Anna. She is a prophetess, and she's from the tribe of Asher. And scholars will debate her exact age. It's probably anywhere between 84 and 105, depending on how you read uh, it could be a little more than 105, but somewhere around there, depending on how you read this passage. Um, but uh, she gets, she overhears Simeon giving this prophecy, and she had been in this temple. All right, so she she grows up, she marries, so she's probably around 14. She's married for seven years before her husband dies, so let's say she's around 21. She stays the rest of her life in the temple, and the Bible says that she she doesn't leave. She stays in there, um, and... Uh, she says, and she coming in that instant, she gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. This is why she's a prophetess. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned unto Galilee to their own city of Nazareth as the child grew. And there's going to be a little little tidbit in here because we got to flash back to yeah. another. We we see here that uh, these these are important people because they... They're the people that meet Jesus in the temple. Right. And uh, a lot of times we think about Jesus being in the temple and the criticism that he would, that he would face in that very same temple. 
But the very first people are the people that accept him and accept his parents and love him. Um, and I think that's important that you have people in the temple because you will face criticism in the temple sometimes. Right. That the very first people are the people that love you and embrace you and validate you. Even that's when one. you don't have a lot to bring with your sacrifice. And then, and then Anna is strange in that she is actually recorded by her tribe, which is unique in, in the New Testament. She's the only woman in which it, the, the tribe is mentioned in any way, shape, or form. And I'm not sure why that is important, but at least Luke felt like it was important enough to actually punch that in there in this rather uh, short letter, considering uh, he could have put a lot of other, it's the longest gospel, but it's 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 short in that uh, there's just so many things he could have told us. And, and the idea of the male and the female, both people that are older, people that sometimes may feel like their their ministry has come to an end, that her role with women or, or, or children is over because whether you're talking to 84 or 105 or whatever it is, um, somewhere that that's no longer going to be a part of her life, but yet she snatches this baby up mm-hmm. and begins to thank the Lord. And I, I think that's beautiful. The, the role of the older saint that can love the children that can that can validate people that can validate. I, I see your grandmother, who validates people and members of my. She's validating members of my family, yeah. which make me feel um, just so very very blessed to be in a congregation that's multi generational. Right. And think about this: this is the only time she shows up that we even know of her. So sometimes in an instant. In an instant. Maybe maybe that's all. Maybe that's all. Her whole have. life is yeah. lived in the wings. Yes, to have this walk-on role. Right. The yeah. boom. Think there about she that. Is. Well, it's kind of the same way, like what you were talking about with Elizabeth earlier. You know, her timeline was, uh, you know, Elizabeth's timeline. If she if she had had John too fast, then it would have messed everything up. Well, with Anna, you know, it's it's kind of part of her story that she is old at this point. You know, and it's the same way with Simeon, obviously, you know, um, so to her, she she's lived her whole life and she's she's wanted children and all this different stuff. And then she gets to see the Christ child and her being the age that she is, is part of what makes her story significant. And, and, and Simeon, why we and Simeon care. seems to have have had a. a, a some type of divine experience that God said, I'm not going to take you until you see this. Yes. And so now it's like, I've seen it. Yeah. And the, 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 mm-hmm. again, the crazy thing is I, I say crazy because it's, it's wonderful, but what has he seen? He's seen a baby. Yeah. But through the baby, he sees it all. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, this is the salvation. This is, I'm holding, I'm holding light. I'm holding the one that will lighten the Gentiles. And so he not only sees the baby, this guy, he sees me. He sees you. He sees the Gentile church through this baby. It's really, it's like amazing. Especially for a priest to see, or some sort of priest, to see the Gentile church. And see the piercing of her soul and all of that sort of jazz. It's, Mm. it's like, it's like, man, that's, yeah. To make, and I, I just can't get the, a picture of Anne. I have to, I have to believe, like his brother Walks here was saying, that she 
She just had to hold that little baby. She'd been praying and fasting for over 60 years. Maybe just wondering how God was going to use her. How does she play a role in the in an instant? Like Brother Walkster said, that walk-on role, but how significant that was. It's awesome. Very good. So now we're going to bounce back to Matthew. We're going to pick it up. We, we left off and we were talking, of course, about um, Mary and Joseph coming together. And, and now we kind of fast forward through time a little bit. And again, this is all part of our, maybe our, our, our the major scenes that we'll see here. We have the, we have the three wise men. And uh, this is the story of the three wise men, though we don't know how many wise men there were. And, and of course, we can see the wise, word wise men is magi, for which we get the word magic. Okay, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're truly wise men in the same way that Daniel was a wise man. Right. Uh, it's the same word and it's from the same type of place. And we'll see here, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah in the days of Herod the king, and they're, they're, they're putting it down, uh, Matthew is saying that there is a guy sitting on the throne who thinks he's the king, but Jesus is actually the king of kings. Uh, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And so you'll, you'll see that they have come uh, wrongly. to the, They've come to the wrong place. They have come to uh, Jerusalem looking for the king of the Jews because that's where they assumed the king of the Jews would be. They apparently knew enough to know that there would be a promised king, but not enough to know where he would be born. Mm-hmm. So it's like they had part of the Old Testament, but they didn't have Micah because Micah was pretty clear. And in fact, when Herod finds this out, Herod's not exactly sure where this guy's supposed to be born. And said, so, well, if there is a king born, where would he be born if he's not from me? And as well, he would be born. The, the, um, the, the scholars there, the priests say, well, according to Micah, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So the, the word knew exactly where, but the sign was a little off. And, and one of the things that you can learn here is signs are great, but signs only confirm the word, not the word confirm the signs, if right. you would. It's good. It um, points you in one direction, but yeah. it has to be fine-tuned. And so as they show up, these, these wise men, we, we have to kind of wonder, where is it that they get this snippet of information this, this, this one bit, why are they looking at this point? Why are they showing up here? What is this star? We have seen a star in the east. The word in the east in the, in the Greek means at its rising or at its zenith in the same way we watch a sun rise. We, we've watched this star rise. And uh, at this point in 2020, you probably know there's a constellation coming together of planets uh, that is supposed to be the, the star of Bethlehem of the the three or four different planets, there are two or three different planets that are coming together uh, to form one super uh, light in the sky. Maybe that's what they're talking. We, we, can, we can debate all of this that we would uh, like to of exactly where they are. Many believe, uh, Dr. Luttrell uh, believe that they, uh, I'm putting words in his mouth now, that they may have got this from the book of Daniel because I the do. book of Daniel talks about when uh, all of this would come about. And that makes sense because Daniel was a wise man mm-hmm. and Daniel would have had this information in part of the Persian empire. Um, and so that the other wise men could, uh, could show up and, and, and uh, could glean from this information. 
And so they come to Jerusalem. Where is he that is born the king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east. You see, Herod is concerned about all of this. And so he gathers the people together and they say, where is, where is he supposed to be born? And they say in verse 5, in Bethlehem of Judah is written in the prophet, which is Micah. Uh, Bethlehem is where he was to be born. And verse number 7, he calls back the wise men and he says, go and search diligently for the young child. And you'll see there it's not a babe anymore. Now it's a young child. Um, and uh, he sent them to Bethlehem. And, uh, of course, he had wondered from them exactly what time the star appeared. That's where we get that two-year window. Apparently, they had seen the star, uh, and it had taken them some time to actually get together this caravan, which is probably implies that there's more than just two of them, or three of them, excuse me. There's at least two, um, but there's probably, there may be dozens of them. In fact, there's probably so many that when they're, they're showing up in a large city like Jerusalem, this caravan is notable because that's the only way that you would actually see that uh, uh, Herod would find out. And it would be troublesome to him, right. not just three guys, but, but maybe, maybe hundreds that would show up. Because why would he see three guys? He's, he's too busy. Yeah. So that, uh, that uh, all of this, and uh, of course, you know that he sends them. He sends them to Bethlehem through the word. And um, you'll see he, of course, says, go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him. I, I, I always think of this as a kind of the shortcut the way some people do. You go do the heavy lifting. And when you find something, come bring it to me. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we hire preachers, not here at this church, but other churches. They hire preachers a way of saying, Go find Jesus, and when you find him, you come and tell me, and then I'll show up and come worship. Go do with all the heavy lifting yeah. uh, and that type of thing. And you'll see here that they heard the king, and when they departed, and there's that little word again, and lo, the star, when they saw in the east, went before them and came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And so you'll see there the three gifts, of course, is where we get the idea of the three wise men because the three types of gifts that are mentioned there, each of them having some type of representation. And you know all of this because uh, you've heard the story before. But I just think it's, it's quite interesting uh, this idea of them coming in, again, coming into the house. Probably this is um, now an infant, a toddler, maybe. Um, this is maybe a, a child who is actually standing on its own and so that they're actually able to bow down because the Bible lets us understand uh, that they present this to him uh, as they fall down before the young child, which I almost think he's kind of toddling around there. And, and the cool thing is they have just come from... Herod the Great was the great for a reason. He was a super builder. That's what he did. He was a super builder. And um, he had built the temple. He had built uh, Caesarea. He had built a number of different places, uh, uh, Masada. And uh, they are leaving that palace, and they're coming now to this small, inconspicuous house. And they are called to believe that that man's not the king. 
this is the king. But somehow when they come into his presence, they get it and they open their gifts and they present them to him. And again, um, part of what we see here is this tie in with Persia and the old Persian empire. But one of the things that um, you'll see, if you see the gifts there of gold and frankincense and myrrh, if you study the Old Testament, there is a prophecy, obviously, there's a, a Gentile who talks about the star with the story of Balaam. And he's the one that mentions the star. And so it's kind of cool that these are probably Gentile people who are picking up on that prophecy of Balaam, whether they realize Balaam or not. They probably don't have access to that. We do, but they probably just have the book of Daniel because of the old Persian empire. But the old Persian empire was pretty big. It could be any, any place in the old Persian sure. empire. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter number 60 that Israel was to arise and shine for thy light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. And of course, all that ties in with the nativity. And in part of that, you can see here that the, the Gentiles shall come to thy light and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. And that's where we get the term king, we three kings of Orient are. Uh, uh, you'll also see if you skip down to verse number six of Isaiah chapter 60, the multitude of camels shall cover thee. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephra, all they of Sheba shall come and they shall bring gold and, inc and incense and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. And that's kind of where I was talking about. The Sheba there is in the south part of, uh, of Saudi Arabia. It's right there on the water. Um, and uh, Old Sheba is, is the, uh, where we have the, the Sabians from, the, the, ones, the Sabians, the ones that had robbed Job, in a sense. They had all of this money, and they had all these trade routes, and they would have had all kinds of incense. Uh, frankincense, of course, is just an incense you burn to a deity. They would have had all kinds of incense because that's what they dealt in, sweet spices. They were on a trade route between Africa and Asia. It's kind of a perfect tie-in with all of this. So they have this knowledge of the East. They have this knowledge of Daniel, Persian Empire type of stuff. But maybe from an area today that we think of as pagan and barren and, and given over to a, a different religion than that of Christianity, that from that would come these kings that would offer up this sacrifice that still challenges us today. I, I think that's really cool. I, and that's why I would make an argument that they're maybe even from Yemen. What? Whoa. And that's the tie-in with Job that we kind of uh, talked about a little bit through our tweet because uh, they had robbed Job and they had actually bartered in people between Africa and Asia. Uh, all of that, uh, that area of the world, that wonderful tie-in, this ties them all together. And then legend kind of steps in in which we have the, the three wise men, which would represent the three sons of Noah in different colors of skin, the three main areas of the world, uh, according to whatever tradition you follow, that you have one that's from Europe and one that is from Africa and one is from Asia. You also have three different Asia ages. One is supposed to be 20, one's supposed to be 40, one's supposed to be 60. And then um, one of the things that we had talked about, too, is that eventually, uh, according to one tradition, uh, they would be martyred because of their stance that they would take. 
because who was who's to assume that Herod would just kill babies and not try to track these guys down, right. that they would eventually be martyred and that their bodies would show up in, that's right, Germany, in the shrine of the three wise men in Cologne, Germany, that I was telling them a little story about earlier. That's one of the parts of Western Europe that I had been to. But uh, really cool stuff in regards to that. And one of the things that happens is that bittersweet uh, situation. They have provided a means of escape by their offerings. But they've also, because they went to Jerusalem first, they've also inadvertently tipped off Herod of a time that they're to come. Now, if they had, if they had somehow had access to the total word, maybe they would have come directly to um, Bethlehem, but they didn't have that opportunity. And so inadvertently uh, they tipped off Herod, which of course was a part of the prophecy when they left, they went a different way, the Bible says. And then Herod took it very purposely because he was starting to lose uh, um, sense at this point in time. Um, the Bible says they went a different way. And then Joseph has another, another dream. Joseph, the dreamer, arise, take thy young child and his mother and flee to Egypt um, and be there to, until I bring thee word for Herod shall seek the young child to destroy him. So they have provided the means and the opportunity, all of this together in this one package. They then arise, they took the young child um, with Mary and departed into Egypt. And then, of course, you can see that they stay there till the death of Herod, that they will fulfill the, the words of the prophet, out of Egypt have I called my son. Herod feels like he is mocked. He is uh, angry, and then he decides to seek out the young child. Uh, as Pastor would say, a couple of things that are really cool from this story. Um, number one, there would be people that would suffer because of their proximity to Christ. Mm -hmm. They would not suffer for any other reason than they were close to Jesus. And there is a point in which you'll see that sometimes we do not suffer for what we have done. We have suffered simply these two-year-olds and the families that would bear them. They would suffer simply because they were close to Jesus at some point. The other thing, of course, is that uh, God does not choose to strike down Herod just yet before he's able to do this. That Herod is able to actually to destroy people and Jesus has to flee. He has to, he, he, uh, the, the family unit, Mary, Joseph, Jesus, the holy family has to leave and go to, to Egypt because some things have to simply be survived. Right. They just have to be, we mm -hmm. think of endurance as just sort of staying put. No, I'm going to stay here. No, I'm just going to bear this thing out. Well, no, sometimes you have to flee uh, into Egypt and then just endure that and just, and just survive Fair. that moment to the point that then you come back. And then when you come back, you'll see that when the family comes back into the, the Holy Land, it does not go back to the original place because the, the, the deck has been reshuffled politically and they feel like um, that now Nazareth is a better fit for them, that they have the opportunity that when, when they return, they come back to Egypt. Yeah. And that's your Christmas story. That's all of it. Well, this <laughs> this has become something that I did not expect. It was uh it was he wanted it to be light. He wanted it to be full of froth and candy, and then he got just an electrical 
Justin Luttrell and I together in the same room, and it just wasn't going to happen. The doctor and the reverend. We are we are we are light and funny, and trust me, we we can be hilarious. But uh, you get us talking about good stuff like this. There's just so. I mean, this is the gospel. Yes. I mean, really, it is. This this is. When when that angel says to those shepherds, "I bring you good tidings of great joy," yeah. I mean that's evangelism right there, one on one. That's it's, you know, we we think of um, we think of uh, evangelism sometimes being, uh, you know, God's going to destroy this place, and you better get ready because you you know, the fact of the matter is the world has already been destroyed. We're just living out the repercussions of that destruction. Right. We've already hit the iceberg, and the Titanic is already going down. And what this is is the lifeboat has pulled up, and we have the opportunity. You have a seat aboard the lifeboat if you want one. Exactly. And we're just telling people, hey, you, there's no reason for you to die in that freezing water. You can get in this thing right now, right? and you can have an opportunity of salvation. You can call upon the name of the Lord. You can call upon mm-hmm. him in prayer and call upon him in the waters of baptism, and you can be filled with his presence and his spirit. And, um, man, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. It, yes. That's the opportunity that Christmas provides for all of us, and I need to stop. And the, the point of what we did today, to me, is to understand that, and it, it, I was kind of talking about this earlier when I was talking about the song that we're going to do this Sunday. It's easy to read the Bible, um, particularly if you're reading KJV, and to see it in some sort of Shakespearean way to where it's it's all prose and it's just different, you know, uh, just it's just a language thing, you know. But these are all things that actually happened and happened with consequences, you know, even down to We Three Kings. We sing We Three Kings of Orient are, you know, and it's like it's this Sunday school type thing, but those men lost their lives for this. You know, and, and if not lost their lives, they did lose, lose possessions by by the sacrifices. For sure, because that's what they were making. Um, when it says they offered them gifts, it doesn't mean gifts in the sense of like I give a present. It it literally means an offering. Yeah. Uh, in the same way that you know, when we talk about the the gift of for purification, mm-hmm. these are offerings that they're presenting. And I do think that one of the problems that we have whenever we talk about history, but particularly when we talk about biblical history, meaning scripture, is we forget these people are living in, in, they're living in a real time. Joseph is dealing with this in real time, that he finds out this woman's going to have a baby and he's not been a party to it. Um, That Mary's dealing with things in real time when she's going to, when, when, when she's grasping for a. A, a physical example of God's word and the angel sort of holds out, well, you know, you could talk to Elizabeth and boom, she's gone like a shot yeah. to go travel this hundred miles one way. So she can find somebody in the world that's kind of like her, yeah. you know, um, good. that, that these people that, 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 that they're all living in real time. And that somehow when you, when you see the story in hindsight, every, all the pieces click, 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 they all yeah. click together. Um, but there were no fade to black transitions in this in this story, you know. In the same way, there are no fade to black in our our story. In hindsight, everything works together for the good. Right. Mm-hmm. We throw that out there, but this is really part of the reason that the Bible says any of this was written was written for our learning. These are right. examples to us for our Amen. ammunition. Yeah. And uh, I gotta stop, guys. I gotta stop. <laughs> well, we could go all day long. Um, but uh, you got anything, any last thing on your heart, Justin? 
you know, I, I, I really, really, really enjoyed the vision that Brother Walkstetter shared of um, the host and holding back the host because there is this treaty that is now out there and we have a mediator to make that treaty happen. And the only way that we become a part of that treaty is through that mediator. Exactly. Which is why we must repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. You've we, got to have that mediator. We right have there the opportunity. We, we, the, the son himself, as Hebrews would talk about, that God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in mm-hmm. time past hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that. The, the people of the Old, the Old Testament, the, the Old Covenant, they got a word from an angel. We have the word from the Son of God who came himself Amen. and delivered his life a ransom for many. Yeah. Amen. And we would encourage you today just to kind of, to the best of your ability, try to put the story into perspective in its cosmic perspective because it's, it's easy to see nativity scenes. It's easy to watch movies or, or to even read the Bible itself and just kind of blow through it. And this is just what we do this time of year. But the, the ultra significance of what happened in those 33 years um, really shook the foundations of the entire universe. And that is not a, you know, obviously that's not an understatement in any way. Um, so I just, I want to like Mary, try to ponder these things in my heart um, and keep them in the, in the times where, where you do have doubts and things. I, the song that we're going to sing on Sunday, and I've, I've brought it up a lot, but um, it's in Revelation, and, and John the Revelator, he, he sees all these crazy, chaotic things happening in his vision, and there's like the shepherds, he sees a heavenly host that's, that's, you know, and I'm not saying that it's the same one, but I could be. Um, and they're, they're all saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And all of these things are happening. And then the angel brings out the book and nobody can open the book. And John is just, he can't, he can't fathom how through all of the cacophony of what's going on around him, how there's just nobody here. Nobody can do this. And then he sees the lamb coming out of the midst of the throne, mm. you know. And one of my favorite things that we said today was when Justin was talking about the pigeons and how they had a lamb the whole time, but it wasn't his time yet, you know. It's just, anyway, I, now I got to stop. So uh, You got three choices this Christmas season, guys. When you hear the story of Jesus, you can try to squash it, get rid of it, take it out of society like so many are doing right now. You can fear it as the people did, fear what is coming and what might be, or you can be like the wise men and worship at his feet. Amen. Yep. Amen. So uh, until next time, may the Lord bless and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.